0: I'll read 1 Corinthians 10, 17 again, which will be our scripture for the sermon tonight. Let's give our attention to that word from God. For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. May God bless his word to us, especially the preaching of it. Now, in this prior, in the prior preparatory service, this past Sabbath evening, we considered our anticipation for the Lord Jesus Christ to meet him at the table, our glorious bridegroom. We anticipated communion with Jesus himself and our brother, Reverend Gunn. He preached so beautifully from the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 9, especially he lifted our thoughts to the heavens to show how our beloved Jesus Christ desires us a Unfathomable thing in some ways, when we recognize that we are sinners, even the chief. And yet he sees us as lovely, that he is ravished with us, in fact, not because we in ourselves are lovely, but because he has given to us his own beauty, of course, as we heard, whether by imputing his righteousness to us, whether infusing into us his uh, grace so that we may be sanctified, or ultimately what is coming for us when we will see him as he is and we will be glorified and we will be like him. These are wonderful things that show us the beauty that Christ sees in us that he himself has given to us. Beautiful things that our brother preached to us. So we have, I trust, if we've been moved by the spirit, uh, grown in a yearning since that Lord's day for our Lord Jesus Christ, for him to come to us that he would leap over the mountains of our sin, that he would come to us, Uh, all that we have put between us and him, he would be the one to overshadow those things. He would be the one to conquer them and conquer our hearts again. And that's the primary thing that we are anticipating, this Lord's Day, of course. But there is a second anticipation, which we often neglect in our preparation for the communion table, which is an anticipation to be with our brethren. To be with our brethren and fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ together as the people of God. You know, it ought to warm our hearts when we think on the congregation and we think of the members. It ought to warm our hearts to think that we are coming together as the people of God to share in Christ together, our shared Savior. Joy rooted in our shared Redeemer. Christ has redeemed us. Christ for us as a people. He has made us a people who are once not a people. Isn't that a stunning thing? You look at around this room, how could anybody else but Jesus Christ have done this thing? And we look at the love he has poured out on all of us, all of us brethren, and we say it's not just a love he has had for me, it's a love he has had for us all, to give himself for us all. And we fall in love with him, of course, but we also then think of this person that Christ has loved so dearly and I love him or I love her as well as brethren. We are all the children of God in him partaking of one Christ. Whether we were Jew, whether we were Gentile, whether we were Scottish or Mexican or Indian or European or American, whatever we are, we love Christ and we love each other. Whatever kind of sinner we have been, we love each other. You have been a different kind of sinner than me in some ways. Yet we love each other, whatever our background is, as we come to the table, seeing that this one is redeemed so mightily of the Lord from their sin, as I have been redeemed mightily from mine. But what we must do then, as we think on these things, is examine our love for our brethren before we come. We don't put them out of our thoughts before we come to the table. They must be in our thoughts as well. We must think on them as well as Christ and the work Christ has done in them. And how we are to love them. That is why there is actually no such thing, children, as private communion is there. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, it's sinful. And the fact that private communion is sinful shows us there is a need to prepare to commune with our brethren as a body. As well as with our Lord, our head. You know, Often (laughs) our communion services, uh, we find little profit in them because we are unconcerned over this horizontal dimension of communion. But Christ would have us in the word of God, very concerned over our horizontal communion. You know, back when I preached in the gospel worship series on the physical table, I mentioned one of its uses is to give a sense of the joint participation or fellowship we have with one another in Christ, to put away the notion that we are just individuals partaking of Christ by ourselves in our little corner but we are coming together to partake of our one blessed, glorious Redeemer together. Around that table, we partake of one bread and one cup, our joint fellowship in Christ pictured so richly, showing our senses what is in our text, that we being many are one. We being many are one. What a blessed union, brethren, we have in Christ. We ought to desire it and we ought to delight in it, seeking more than to this reality to be more and more pressed into our hearts, that we would press forward into it and seek to be united one to another. So before we partake, let us examine our love for the brethren tonight. And that'll be our preparatory theme this Wednesday night. We'll consider it under just two heads. First is the sacrament, and second is the saints. Uh, We want to first consider, uh, in our first heading, the sacrament, how the sacrament pictures our fellowship with each other in Christ, that we might partake of it with faith and understanding. So in verse 17, I'll read it again, that we being many are one bread and one body, for we're all partakers of that one bread. So you see one, 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 right? There's a unity here, and it's pictured in the emblems of the Lord's Supper. So the apostle children, you might recognize, speaks of a bread, right? And a body. What's he talking about? Well, we know it's the Lord's Supper he's speaking of, the bread of the table, which represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the prior verse, verse 16 makes the connection well. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So the, the cup and the bread are the elements, aren't they, of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? Uh, a sign and seal of our communion with the blood and body of of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a covenantal meal, as you know, meant for the people of God and them only. It's only for those with a mature faith in Christ, and those who come to it come by faith in Him. All that said, what verse 16 teaches is if you come to the supper with faith in the Redeemer, you truly and you really feed upon His body and blood when you eat the bread and drink from the wine and the cup by faith. Not carnally, but spiritually, children, you feed on Christ. And what you have is you have applied to you Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. This is a great strengthening ordinance from the Lord when you commune with him. He is the vine. We are the branches. He feeds us on himself in the sacrament. And how we ought to desire that, shouldn't we? To have such an intimate fellowship with the Lord is unimaginable, isn't it? that he would call sinners like us into this kind of fellowship. Feed on me. Take of me. Here I am for you, sinner. Come and have me. Now, the Lord used the bread as a sign to point to his body. Children, at the table, you will observe from uh, your place uh, a physical bread, a visible bread at the table. You will see that there with your eyes, uh, your physical eyes. But there is an invisible bread that we apprehend with the eyes of faith. There's a bread beyond the physical loaf that we will see at the table. And that invisible bread is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so faith sees uh, beyond the physical bread to the invisible bread. And the physical bread that the eyes can see is connected then to the eyes of our understanding when we come by faith to see the reality That is present. And so, we communicants then who come to the table and commune by faith will commune on the invisible bread, Christ the bread of life. Even as we ingest the physical bread, we are by the Holy Spirit working through our faith, feeding on Jesus Himself. What a blessed thing that is. So, think of it this way communicants, right? As your hand takes hold of the visible bread, bread your faith takes hold of the invisible reality of christ right so you have to by faith see as i am reaching out for this bread as a beggar i am reaching out by faith to christ himself and he is giving himself as surely as i tear that bread he has given himself to me as surely as i ingest the bread and chew on it and bring it into me he has given himself to me we look beyond the physical the physical to the invisible so that's what we're doing in the sacrament with Christ but there's more verse 17 teaches that our communion our fellowship is with each other as well you know we the body of Christ feed on Christ together we being many are one bread we being many are one bread the bread then serves as another picture then as a picture of Christ's mystical body of Christ's mystical body um this is, these are all the saints of, God, of Christ, right? All the saints of God who are in Christ are his mystical body. Uh, a real wonderful picture of this is in the bread itself. Consider how bread is made, children, right? There are many grains, aren't there? Many, many grains, and they come and they come and they're brought together to create a singular loaf of bread. And that's a picture of the mystical body of Christ. We being many are one. All these grains come together to make one loaf. So it pictures this union that we have together with Christ, our head. That's seen in the bread, too. And faith has to see that at the table. You know, that Christ was broken for us all to make us one whole body, his mystical body. It's a rather interesting thing when you think of it that way. You remember when Jesus said, right, this is my body, which is broken for you you know, the U is plural there, isn't it? In the authorized version, that becomes plain. It's plural in the Greek. And he says, my body, my one body was in love broken for you all. My one body is broken, not just for one person, but was broken for all the elect of God, for all of his people to make you the body of Christ. His body broken, to make you his body so that you can be united to him, mystically united to Christ, your head. You think of the Savior saying such things as this, I have loved you all and I have given myself for you all. My body was broken for you out of love to create this mystical body of love. God is love and the body of Christ must be love one to another. I have loved you and given myself for you. Now you love each other in this body of love. When we are converted, the Holy Spirit does a great work in us. He unites us to Christ our head and then to each other as well, giving us the spirit of adoption. In fact, both sacraments, I was meditating on this, show forth our unity as a body. Both of the sacraments do this. The initiatory sacrament, baptism, signifies your entrance into Christ's body, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians 12:13. For by one spirit, Are we all baptized into one body? Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit, we're baptized. Our baptism signifies we have come into one body. We are come and brought together as one. You know, it's so interesting then, isn't it? Our unity is so important to the Lord Jesus Christ that both of his sacraments picture it. That must mean something to us, shouldn't it? And so when it comes to the Lord's Supper, as we consider this theme of unity, this is why we also strive for unity of the elements, children. Right? We don't have divided elements. I want you to know that at a young age, that we have a unity of the elements. This is why we have a singular loaf at the table. Because we are one bread. We are one body. We're not individual bodies. That's individualism so much of the american church today is gripped by it and so i have my christ you have your christ i have my conception of christ you have your conception of christ and then guess what there's no unity in the body not only do we have differing views of the lord jesus christ we're not united as one because of it but we are all to share of the same christ not multiple christ we have a singular sa- singular savior who is our common head he's the head we are the body that is ephesians 1:22 and 23 Uh, Ephesians 4 4 through 6 shows our unity in these words there is one body and one spirit even as you are called in one hope of your calling one Lord one faith one baptism one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all we share this one thing we share this one thing the most glorious and wondrous thing that any can possess As God's people, as one body, we share one hope of our calling. We have one singular hope, eternal life, and that we will ever be with the Lord forever. That is our common hope. That is our common, if you want to use this word, dream, isn't it? This is what binds us together. We share one Lord. We share one faith. We share one baptism. We share one God who is father of us all. We share one spirit who is given to us, who causes us to cry out, what children? abba father that same spirit then causes us to say wouldn't it brother and sister if we're saying abba father this is how great our unity is brethren this is what christ has done to make us where many one christ has done this and we must recognize it at the table and we must glorify him for it but also in our day-to-day walk this is not just for the table The table will give us grace to do it if we seek it. But we must have this be part of our spiritual DNA. Yesterday, Reverend uh, Gunn and I had fellowship with two local ministers and a pastoral intern. Different Reformed denominations, different ethnicities, different nationalities even. Uh, Reverend Gunn had never even actually met them before. But almost instantly, what did we all say? Brother to one another. Right there is warmth and intimacy in that room that we often don't have with our physical family, even though we many of us have come from four corners of the earth. One didn't even, two actually, there didn't even know most of most of us. But instantly it was brother, and we were speaking of our shared hope, our shared Lord, our shared work, for the Lord's sake. What can account for that other than Christ has made us where many one body? This is not the work of man. Man can do none of that. This is, uh, this is what uh, man has tried to do, but man cannot do. So we all have a singular father. And, you know, think about how many of us may even be orphans, right, in the world. And yet we have come into the family of God. We have one father who has taken us in and adopted us into the house of God, given us all the rights and privileges of the children of God. We share these great and glorious things. And so how we, the children of God, ought to love one another. For the great love he has poured out to us. God has commendeth his love towards each at the table who has come in faith. Isn't that what the scripture would say? God has commendeth his love to that one. God has The Lord Jesus Christ has given his life in love for that one and that one and that one and that one. Even as in the psalm, we're singing, this one is from there and that one is from there. We can say in a similar way, this one was saved by the Lord. This one was loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. This one he died for, as he did for me. And I have made him or her my child, and I have sent my spirit, the spirit of adoption to them. And I have bound you up together with a singular hope and a singular faith, so that you will all be with me and with each other for eternity in heaven. When you partake of that covenantal meal, you are partaking of something no earthly family will ever be able to take, unless they are in Christ, of course. Something far more intimate than anything at any human dining table. No matter how loving that family is, if they're outside of Christ, there is something far more intimate that you're going to share on the Lord's Day morning, then you will share in in any family uh, dining table. You know this is also part of the way that the supper is administered, right? Think of the sacramental action. You know there are often four that the communicants partake of, but dividing the elements, passing them from brother to sister to brother, right? You're showing that we share in the same Christ, that He is ours. Here, brother. Here, sister, and we take it. We, this is why we don't have the minister do it and pass it to you as a priest, but rather that we together are the family of God and we together are partaking of our same Savior. And, and so, what you need to do in the sacramental action is you need to observe. You need to observe your brother or sister there taking of Christ and then passing it to you. And you see, we are sharing of the same Christ together. And we need to see then, I must love this one. Look at how Christ has given himself for him or for her. Oh, how I must love the, uh, the Savior and then I must love his body. And so may that spiritual sight work something in you at the table. Grow in love for them, which is what? The distinguishing mark of Christ's disciples. That you love one another, isn't it? Isn't this what he said was the distinguishing mark Mark of the Christian disciple. Well, with that to sort of set the sacrament and its meaning, let's consider our second heading, the saints. So, here we need to examine ourselves in relation to the rest of the body of Christ. Now, the first thing I must mention, and it seems obvious but not obvious to many, is that we are here to examine our own hearts first and foremost, not to think about our brother or our sister but where we stand in relation to them. Not to point fingers at anyone. Also recognizing that this examination is first and foremost heart examination. We're not going to be um, happy with an outward politeness to our brethren, are we? We must have a heart warmness towards them, which will then move into outward action and speech, of course. But this is a heart examination. The Lord who sees into the heart Is examining our heart. Remember, schism begins in the heart before it migrates towards speech and action. It is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaketh. Now, as this is rather a large topic, I will just deal with a few areas of examination tonight, just designed to help us come together in unity so that there will be no divisions among us. And I actually don't want to start with the brethren. I want to start with something that ought to be rather simple, but is very often neglected, which is that our communion is with the brethren only. Our fellowship is with those in the body of Christ. We do not have communion, we do not have fellowship with unbelievers. Right? In fact, if when we read 1 Corinthians 10, you can see that there. We're not to partake of what they partake of. And that must be said and that must be recognized. You know, how if you are one of those, so this is really for you, isn't it? If you're one of those who would rarely fellowship with God's people, you don't come to the table. Right? Don't say, well, I, I love Christ, but I'll have nothing to do with God's people. The communion table is not for you. In fact, you need to examine whether you're in Christ. If all of your time is spent with worldly people, If all of your time is not spent, not all of your time, if much of your time is not spent with the people of God, there's something wrong. We talked about this briefly. How outrageous it would be for you who will not fellowship with Christ's people come and then partake of the bread in the supper. It goes against everything that the Bible teaches No, one with no desire for the people of God and their fellowship must not take of the sacrament. Longing for the brethren is actually a signifier that you are one of the redeemed, isn't it? How can one say that they love Christ but have no love for his body? The Lord who draws us into communion with himself says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for here's the word, what fellowship, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion Hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Remember that well, children. Second Corinthians 6. So examine your heart. Do I have a greater desire for the people of God than I do for any other group of people on the earth? And that may include even, sad to say, unconverted family members. Right? I must... Desire this group of people more than my unconverted family. And I do praise God for that. I, I do love you more and desire to be with you more than my unconverted family. As painful as that is to say it, in some ways. Yeah. And we all must say it. Or any ethnicity that we have left behind if they're not converted peoples, right? Some people will, you know, they'll come and they'll want to be with people of their culture. And there's nothing wrong with that if they were converted people. <laughs> But then there are a lot of times this is a snare for those who are converted. It's like, I'll go back to the people who are unconverted, have a certain kind of culture. I feel comfortable in the culture, yet they reject Christ. You must not be with people who reject Christ and have that kind of fellowship. So you need to examine your heart and ask for grace to love your brethren over all other peoples as you prepare to commune. Well, next, we examine our love. You know that it's the chief of all graces, isn't it? And we are to examine our love for the brethren. Jesus said this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. What a tall order that is. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. John 13. Now this is a text that we know well, but it is perhaps one of the most challenging texts in all of Scripture, isn't it? So let's just not be content to know it and not live it, right, brethren, by the grace of God. You know, if you see the love of Christ, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. If you see the love of Christ, then, in the broken bread and in the shed wine, you hear his voice speak, as I have loved you, you love one another. As you watch the bread torn, you see your need to love the one bread, the one body. You see the need to love the body of Christ. We ought to examine then our love for our brethren as we approach the table. Um, we think about, you know, in a congregation like this, it's not that hard to do. You can go and think about all the members of the congregation who will be coming and communing with you, and you can examine where is my love for this person, where is my love for that person. Now, we cannot love everybody equally, even the same, you know, even Christ had his inner group of disciples, but certainly there has to be love for them all. We can't have resentment. We can't have bitterness. We can't have anger. We can't think poorly on them. We can't assert ourselves as more righteous than any of them. Right? We must think of them all in love. And we cannot think of any of them without a measure of love. We cannot despise them. We cannot hate them. And so this is something to do before we partake, is look on in your heart, your brethren, and ask the Lord to heal any breaches that are there. And sometimes that might even require, you know, asking for forgiveness or something. It may well be the case, but certainly you need to put away any bitterness or anger or malice before you come to the table. The next thing to examine is that if uh, if you are contributing to any schism in the body, uh, as a singular body of Christ, division is evil. Division is evil, it is wicked, it is sinful. And as far as it is dependent on us, we ought never be the cause of schism. Right? Schism may happen, but let it never be us who's causing it. 1 Corinthians 12.25 gives you the will of Christ for you, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members, here's an interesting thing, I'll come to it in a moment, but that the members should have the same care one for another. The word schism Children in the Greek language sort of signifies a ripping or a tearing apart of something. Schism, then, you see this visceral thing. It tears apart the body of Christ, or it seeks to, by divisions. And so it's a terrible sin, and it is evil. You know, it's not just, I want you to think of it this way. It's not just you having terrible personal relationships with somebody in uh, the church. But it's a, a tearing apart of the body of Christ. It does far worse than you imagine. It's not just, okay, well, I'm not friendly with this person anymore, or I'm just going to turn my back on them. It's a tearing. It's a tearing of the body of Christ. It's an assault, an attempted assault on Christ's mystical body, which he counts as his own. And was there not a lesson to Paul on the road to Damascus on how poorly the Lord uh, sees an assault on his body, brethren? That's what schism is. A great and terrible sin. Seeking to do violence to Christ is what it is. It's not a small, it's not a slight thing, which is why the Bible warns against schism so much. So examine yourself. Am I contributing to division in the church? Could be heresies which deny our common confession of faith or sinfully warring and contending against each other in the body. If so, how can you partake of that one bread, saying that we are one body with our brethren? You know, the other thing I would say is, if your life is a constant testimony of broken relationships in the church, you must ask honestly before the Lord if it is really them or if it is you. Hmm. Right? If godly people are constantly having difficulty with you, you need to ask why that is the case. I I think every elder here has counseled, um, counseled people who's like, I don't understand why I have problems with this person and that person and that person and the other person and why my last church was like this and my other... It's like, have you ever thought there's one common variable here? And and it might be you. So you need to ask yourself why you might have a lot of destroyed relationships in the church. And you need to do some heart searching today. It would be a terrible thing if the testimony of your... Now, I understand there are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But if among godly people... There are a a whole series of broken relationships. You need to do some heart work tonight and ask if it is you. Now, brethren, when the minister tears the bread on the Sabbath day, that action of tearing was never intended to picture the tearing of schism. That's not what that portends. And let us not imagine then that the Lord is okay with schism. That is a picture of Christ being broken for our salvation but the sacrament is not for schismatic people. However, schismatics, praise God, can repent and can come to the Lord before the supper. Now, while the tearing of Christ's body does not picture schism, it pictures the tearing of his body to cure schism and to heal it. In fact, isn't that the whole point, right? We being many are made one. We who are scattered abroad, those of us who are never in relation to each other are brought together. And so schism can be cured and can be healed by him. So when we come to the supper, ask for the grace to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3. But I thought it was very interesting. I said I would come back to this, that there's a diagnostic for schism in that verse to see if you care for each other. All right. Let me read a bit more broadly, 1 Corinthians 12:25 to 27 that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You see, we care for one another. We're to have the care for one another. Um, Schism prevents that care. We know that there's schism where... Maybe here's a diagnostic somebody puts something on our prayer channel and it says you just go right past that person, right? You don't have the same care for that person as you do because then there's schism there. There's schism there. There's division there. Or when one member rejoices, you're uh, maybe you're jealous. Maybe you're covetous and you won't rejoice with them. There's schism there. See, there's a diagnostic there for your faith and your love. Do I have the same care? For these people in the body if one of them was grossly ill would i just sort of turn a blind eye would i give a perfunctory prayer maybe but not really care about this person well then there's division there in your heart isn't there what would i do you can think about this what would i do if this person were grossly sick or ill would i be there at the hospital bed or have a desire for it right there's a good diagnostic examine your heart how often do you pray for your brethren you know, our Slack prayer channel, as I mentioned, is an easy way to do this. Examine yourself. See if you're willing to pray. Next, you can examine your heart to see if you know that you actually need one another. You need one another. There's, you know, the body of Christ is not random. He has knit us together for a purpose. And he actually tells us we need each other. That's why he's brought us together. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul used the analogy of a physical body and says all the members of a body need one another. But now are they, this is verse 20 and following, but now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. You no, know, he says the body has the need for the eye and the hand and so forth. Even parts that we might consider feeble are needed, are necessary. Just like children, the Lord put our bodies together very purposefully. Every part is necessary, isn't it? There isn't any wasted parts like the evolutionists might say, right? No, these are all, our whole body is purposely knit together. And so when we look at the body of Christ, we cannot say, oh, that person is superfluous. Or the body would be better off without this person. We can't do that. We can't come to the table and think the church would be better off if that person were not there with me at the table. That would be sinful for us to think. And how often are elders chastised of the Lord when we think that problem family or that problem person It would just be better if they would just go someplace else, right? Now, maybe there are times where it would be a better fit for somebody to go elsewhere. But when we want to do that because we're just frustrated with somebody, that's the problem. <sighs> By faith, we know if one is a believer, they are grafted into Christ's body, and Christ has deliberately chosen them out of the world. And if he has done that, I cannot reject them. And I must not reject them. That must be schism. <sighs> and whatever faults Whatever faults our brethren have, and we have this sinful tendency to magnify their faults, don't we? I'm not immune to that. I'll confess. But when we do that, we become the Pharisee of Luke 18, don't we? I thank thee, Lord, that you have made me not like that man. Right? Whereas that other man, who is such a great sinner in his own eyes before God, goes home justified. We cannot look down in any sort of self-righteousness, that any sinner who comes to the table who has said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's also a terrible thing. That's a terrible thing. Well, this kind of heart will also lead you to wanting to reconcile with the brethren, being ready to forgive them when they have committed offenses, to put away bitterness in your heart, to cover offenses with love. And that's all directly related to the table, isn't it? Because at the table, you are seeing the great price that was paid to cover your own debt to the Lord, haven't you? And then you have to remember that wicked servant of Matthew 18 who had a, a large debt forgiven by his master but would not forgive the smaller debt. If that is you, what would the Lord say to you or me? O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Should not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant? Even as I had pity on the Matthew 18, are you not going to see the compassion of the Lord towards you in the sacrament? How can you not have compassion towards those who have offended you as well? And be ready to forgive. When you see the body broken, the bread broken, the compassion of Christ for you. When you see the wine poured out, the compassion of Christ for you. So, where is your compassion? The Lord saying, should not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant? As you watch the elements and the sacramental actions that the minister makes, should that not also trigger, should I not also have compassion on my fellow servant? Yes, absolutely. In that, here is the best way forward to unity and love with the brethren. Think on Christ and what he has done for you and how he has loved you. You, a great and wicked sinner, have you forgotten it, child of God? How great and wicked your sins are, and mine too. Yet freely out of heaven he came to love you, and to give himself for you. As the apostle remembered, he loved me, the Son of God did, and gave himself for me. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God Almighty, shown in the sacrament. Then we remember 2 Corinthians 5 and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. We now live for our Redeemer by doing that which pleases him. And oh, how it pleases him to love one another, to forgive, to have no schism. You know, from John 17, we recently heard he desires you all be one. So go and love your brethren. Love your brethren for Christ's sake, knowing his desire for you. Is that too much to give your Savior who gave himself for you? Is that really where you draw the line? I can do so and so, but I will not love this one. I will not love that one. Is that where your love to your Savior terminates? May it never be. I will say, just for your encouragement, there are many points where this congregation epitomizes this kind of love. For your encouragement, we all have areas to grow. Each of us, undoubtedly, but there is a tangible love for the brethren. Many who come to our congregation testify of it, for which I am very glad. That is the Lord's work. But let's ask for more. Let's let's ask for more, and knowing that these are the things the Lord delights to give, we do not receive because we do not ask, or we ask amiss, don't we? So let's ask to love. Like, is that a small thing? to ask to love the brethren. Again, I'll just remind you that look on that sacramental action of partaking and passing at the Lord's table. And may that cause you to grow in love. And may the good Lord give us grace at the table to live that out in love as well. Live out in love. And anticipate then in these next few days, I hope maybe, maybe this has been far from your mind, You know, we've had the greater anticipation. It is the greater anticipation to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we completely sometimes neglect the secondary anticipation, which is to meet with one another in Christ at the table. So may your heart be warmed by the grace of God to love your brethren and think on them. For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Show your love for Christ by loving each other. And oh, how he will love those that love the ones he has laid down his life for. And may he bless you then richly at the table. Amen. Let's arise for prayer of Abel. Oh, our blessed God, our Father, we cry out, Abba, Father, as the children of God, we have come before the throne of grace. And we confess, O Lord, that we do not love as you would desire us to love at all times. We confess, O Lord, that we have not often acted as children of one great and glorious Father, that we have not acted often as one body of Christ. And so, Father, forgive. And Father, would you, by your Spirit, blow upon our hearts and stimulate Uh, Our graces and grow them so that we would love one another and that we wouldn't be blind to what is happening at the table. That we are coming to partake together of our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that we, being many, are one and we are partaking of that one bread together as the children of God. Father, our love is not what it ought to be. What a terrible thing it would be to be said of us that the love of our congregation has grown cold. We know oftentimes that seeing coldness of love to the brethren is actually a symptom of a greater and worse thing, a coldness of love to the Redeemer himself. For those who truly burn hot with love for the Redeemer, love their brethren. And so, Father, we pray that you would cause us to love one another, that our time of preparation would be well spent, thinking on each of the brethren that we know in the congregation and where there is any sort of schism or division, that we would see those healed and that we would, oh, Father, we we seek this, that we would come to the table. And Jesus has already come to meet us there. Lord, we want him there. And we know that he comes so powerfully when we not only love him, but love the brethren. For he has desired greatly to share this meal with us. And so we pray, Father, that we would come in a manner worthy. And for those who are struggling still, we pray that they would find their sufficiency in the Lord Jesus and that they would come knowing that even a weak faith is a true faith. And even as they struggle, Father, that they would see that the struggle of faith is greatly blessed. How the Lord greatly answers the prayers of those who have a weak faith who seek him. Bless this people then as they make preparation, and we pray that thou wouldst bring us all safely uh, to the table, that we would partake of that one bread. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.